Now, I'm terrible at finding directions. Uh, I often get lost, actually, when I'm going any, any place I'm going to. Uh, even if I've been there a number of times, I, I often find that I'm getting lost. So one of the things I thank God for is Google Maps, right? I, I, I can't imagine how life was like before Google Maps, right? Uh, it just does all the thinking for me. I used to use London A to Z, but Google Maps is just wonderful, isn't it? You just put it in there and it takes you there. I, I, I use it all the time uh, whenever I'm going to new places just to get direction in life. And as I think about Google Maps, it reminds me that all of us need direction in life, isn't it? Not just for physical direction. We need spiritual direction in life. See, all of us are on a spiritual journey. And it started when we were born. That's when our spiritual journey started. And we will reach our destination when we die. And it will either be heaven or it will be hell. And as we travel on the road of life, all of us have our own, if you like, spiritual Google map. We have some framework or some guide that is helping us make sense of life. What is life about? How should I live in this world? Where is my life going? We have our own spiritual. Each one of us have a spiritual Google map. It's, it's making sense, interpreting the meaning of life for us, and leading us to one of the two destinations I talked about. Now, the technical name for this spiritual map is worldview, right? That's the technical name. You may have come across it. It means worldview. A worldview is a series of beliefs and convictions we each have about the meaning of life. Every human being has a worldview. Everyone, because everyone has a set of beliefs that shape how they're living. They have a spiritual map that's taking them to their destination. Now remember, there are only two destinations in life. So your worldview is either directing you towards your never-ending life with Christ in heaven, or your worldview is directing you to a never-ending life away from Christ in hell. A life of endless torment and suffering and wrath and judgment at the hands of God. Now, the good news of the Bible is that if we have truly surrendered our life to the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm not just saying we said a prayer, but we've come to that point of having truly surrendered to him as Lord and Savior, right? We can truly say the Lord Jesus is my Lord and Savior. If, you, if you're one of those, then you already belong to Christ. You are truly born again. You've been regenerated and you are counted among God's people. You are already a citizen of the heavenly city, of the heavenly Jerusalem. You are heaven-bound. And the proof that you really belong to Christ is that your worldview you have now is increasingly being shaped by the Bible. The Bible is the word of God. And at the heart of the Bible is the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is on every page of the Bible. God gave us the Bible, these six books, to point us to Christ. Jesus himself said, you set the scripture because you think you find them, you find in them life. But actually they point to me, the way, the truth, and the life. And so all true followers of Christ are meant to have a Bible-centered view of the world. Our thoughts about this world are meant to be shaped by the word of God because the word of God is about Christ. So, in effect, we can say we are meant to have a Christ-centered worldview. 
Our view of life must be shaped by the truth of Christ revealed in the Bible. Now the challenge is this, that if you're a true follower of Jesus, you are still being tempted every day not to abandon your view of Christ, because it's impossible for you, if you truly know Christ, to abandon that. But you're being tempted to become synchristic, to mix the world view of the world with, your, with, with, with the Christ-centered worldview. To mix your Christ-centered worldview with a godless antichrist view of the world that is rooted in human ideas and human wisdom. It is actually hard for us to resist the world shaping how we think. That's the first thing I really want you to let that sink in. It is hard for you to resist the world shaping how you think. Because human beings, you see, by nature, loves everything that is new, right? New always feels better. So when we come across a new idea, they feel just better than the old idea. I don't know if you've read C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters, but Screwtape in there talks about this. He calls it chronological snobbery. And, 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 and he says our default way of thinking is that the new ideas are always best, right? That's the challenge. So you're supposed to have a Christ-centered view, but you've got all of these ideas all around you that are saying new is better, right? And it's a struggle. And, but you and I are not the first to face this struggle. The followers of Christ living in the ancient city of Colossae 2,000 years ago faced the same struggle. Because I've said already that false teachers had crept in among them. They were saying, yeah, you've got a wonderful world in Christ, that's great, but we can upgrade that. We can, you can, get, you can receive an upgrade on it. We, we can improve on it with some human ideas and, and worldly ideas and traditions and so forth. They were saying, looking at the world through the eyes of Christ is too limited. You Christians here in Colossae are too narrow. We are Christians like you and we think we should have a wider view of life. We need to add some ways of thinking about life on top of what the Bible teaches and so Paul heard about this from Epaphras, his fellow servant who was visiting him in Rome, and Paul was disturbed by this, what was going on in Colossae. And so he wrote this letter to encourage the followers of Christ at Colossae to stand against any man-centered ideas because they oppose the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we've been going through Colossae verse by verse, and, and we can say its central message really is Christ is all we need. If you can summarize this letter, all it, what it says is Christ is all we need. We cannot improve on Christ with any human ideas. Christ is enough for us, and we are complete in him. We don't need to live by man-centered ideas. We don't need our thinking shaped by the world. No, we must stick to the truth of Christ. We must allow the word of God to shape our thinking. And this is the main point Paul is making in verse 8. Look at verse 8 there. See to it that no one, some versions, by the way, say, beware. See to it that no one takes you captive, prisoner, by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Now, before we get into this passage, I just want to say that the key word in this passage is that word, philosophy. 
right? Because when we hear this word philosophy in our language, in English, right? In our society, the moment, the thing that comes into our mind is like, okay, university professors, right? Academics who spend all day in those philosophy departments asking, you know, huge questions, you know, what is truth? Do I exist or am I just in someone else's dream, right? <laughs> what makes us human? <laughs> what is the point of life? They ask such big questions. It's been all day, right? They write huge volumes of books on the meaningless of life. Life is meaningless, but still a huge book on it, right? Right? That's what we think when we think of philosophy, right? We think of them, the academics. But in Paul's day, this word philosophy was much bigger than the study of such interesting questions, right? For Paul, philosophy meant, during that time, human wisdom or human thinking, It is everything that human beings have taught themselves about how to make sense of life without looking at things through the lens, through the eyes of Christ. Human philosophy really was all the beliefs, all the conclusions, all the conclusions of human traditions, all the accepted way of thinking about the world. It was a consensus of life, right? In other words, it is the man-centered way of thinking. And Paul is saying in this verse, he's saying this, there are only two ways to think about life. Only two ways to think or only two ways to live. If your life is either built on man-centered thinking and you are headed to hell as a destination, or it is being built on a Christ-centered thinking that's leading you to the heavenly city. Man-centered thinking is trying to find meaning purpose and direction in life through man-made ideas and traditions instead of looking to Christ. So you either have a Christian worldview or a man-centered worldview. And this morning, I just wanted to look at three reasons that Paul gives us in verse 8 of why we should reject any man-centered thinking. Because his command is Reject these things. See to it that no one takes you captive by man-centered thinking. So why should we reject that? Well, three things, and they are in front of your outline there. First of all, we should reject man-centered thinking because man-centered thinking is enslaving. It does not deliver the freedom it promises. It actually enslaves us to think in a man-centered way. All worldly worldviews are enslaving. Any thinking about life that is not rooted in Christ is taking you captive. You know, the singer, uh, Lady Gaga, in one of our popular songs, she says this, I just want to be free. I just want to be me. I don't want to change. I don't want to be ashamed. She's saying, look, I want to live as I please because I am a free person, Right? And the more I live as I want, with my human wisdom, the more free I'll be, right? But the Bible says in verse 8 here that such man-centered thinking about life enslaves us. See to it, Paul says, that no one takes you captive by philosophy, by man-centered thinking. Paul is saying, any way of thinking about life that is based on man's wisdom instead of the truth of of Christ is a road to slavery. 
Giving yourself to man-centered ideas brings your mind and behavior under the control and authority of these godless and Christian ways of thinking. And you know what? We don't have to look far to see how living by man's ideas can enslave us. For example, think of one of the most popular ideas in the world today. We can take any, but let's just take the idea that we hear often today, that life is about looking after number one. Right? The world says, look, you are what matters most in life. That's one of the most dominant ideas in the world. It says the way you live your life should be centered on you. The technical name for this way of thinking is individualism. And it comes in two, in two, in two ways. as utilitarian individualism or expressive individualism. But it's all about the individual. It is you. It says you must chase your goals and dreams so that you can live for you and you must express yourself the way you want. Because you can be self-sufficient. And so what we find is, what we find? We find that people today in the Western world are living chasing their dreams. They're heading for the sky. They want a better job. A better house, a better family, a better, better beauty, right? A, a better country if they could have it. This is what they are pursuing. It's better, 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 right? And of course, as followers of Christ, we are not immune to this endless pursuit of better. As believers, many of us are bought into this thinking. There are many Christians that do not believe they can be happy unless they live and have what the world has. And so you find that when you look at ordinary Christians, if, if you didn't know they were believers, you wouldn't notice any difference about the way and the priorities they have in life and what they're pursuing. And Paul is saying, look, that man-centered idea, that individualistic pursuit, as an example, actually doesn't bring the freedom and satisfaction you're longing for in life. It actually enslaves you. Because, because living for you means that you are a prisoner now of your desires and feelings. If your life is about pursuing the next thing, then really what's controlling you is not really you. It is your feelings, your desires in life. You have you swapped slavery from something else to slavery of pursuing your self-satisfaction. Individualism enslaves us to our desires. And more than that, Man-centered thinking handcuffs us to the slavery of sin. Because what is sin, beloved? The DNA of sin is selfishness. The DNA of sin is self-centered thinking and living. It is living for ourselves. It is putting ourselves first. That was Satan's temptation of Eve. You would be like God. You, it's about you. Do you see that? It's slavery. Because not only does sin enslave us, sin enslaves us to hell. It, 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 it handcuffs us to hell. Living like that, if we continue living like that, it proves that we do not know Christ. This is a true danger of all man-centered ways of thinking. It binds our hearts to sin and begs the wrath of God to fall on us. So it's dangerous, right? Because man-centered thinking is enslaving the second reason we should not let man-centered ideas corrupt our thinking is that man-centered ideas, man-centered thinking is deceptive. It deceives us. 
When your worldview is not built on Christ and the Bible, if built by the world, you're, you're living a self-deluded life. All non-biblical worldviews are deceptive. Yesterday I was, I was sharing the good news of Christ at the Broadway. I, I put this on the WhatsApp. I found myself speaking to a young woman who's a Satanist. I couldn't believe that a person can know the devil is real and in fact she believes the devil is real and she believes God is real so she, we start from that basis it was in some senses evangelism <laughs> you start from there but I couldn't believe that a person can know the devil is real and yet at the same time bow to the devil rather than worship the one true I just initially it shook me I was like how does someone become deceived like that? But as I thought about it during the day, I realized I was asking the wrong question, really. The real question is, that how is it ever possible that any of us cannot be deceived? How is, is it possible to escape from deception? Because the truth is that life is hard, isn't it? It is deceptive in so many ways. There are so many ideas in the world that are seeking to deceive us. All man-centered ways of looking at life, not just Satanism, but all man-centered ideas are deceptive. That's what Paul says here in verse 8. Look at that again. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy. And then he says this, and empty deceit. He says, all worldly worldviews that are not rooted in Christ are empty deceit. What does he mean by that? Well, two things. First of all, Paul is saying that all the ideas which are man-centered are by nature deceitful or untruthful. Right? So let's take, for example, the man-centered view of life uh, that says, there is no such thing as the truth. That's a dominant view of the world now. You have your own truth. And I have my own truth. And if you ever share the gospel with anyone, that's the first thing you're going to hear. Right? People say life is not about right and wrong. Somebody told me yesterday. It all comes down to the individual. And so we have Oprah said to Megan and Harry, tell us your truth. Not the truth. They don't want to know what, what, what the truth was. <laughs> what is your truth? Right? That's the world, isn't it? It is about your view of truth. And of course, the technical name for this way of thinking is postmodern tribalism. What is your truth? And the people believe this, of course, because this is behind the whole trans movement, you see. If a boy one day wakes up and decides to be a girl, who are you to question that? It is their truth. It is their discovery of their true self. This is the view of life that many people live by now. And they use it when it comes to belief in God. If you ask them, do you believe in the one and true God of the Bible? They'll most likely say to you, if they're religious in some way, I don't believe in having the same God. I do believe in God, but I have my own God I worship. In other words, I have my own truth about God. Right? But believing that is self-delusion, isn't it? Because, first of all, truth by definition is a statement that matches reality. 
So it's, it's a self-contradiction to say, I have my own truth. For it to be true, it must match reality. And reality by nature is objective reality, right? It's also self-delusion because no one lives like that in practice. And so somebody told me yesterday that I have my own truth. I said, well, so what do you make, what do you make of those that, you know, what, what Mr. Putin is doing in Russia? Is that evil or good? They're like, that's evil. I said, you see? <laughs> No, it's just about how you see life. It's, truth must be objective. Because we never live like we have our own truth. Because if we did, that life would be chaotic, right? If I believe that I have my own truth about those chairs you're sitting on, I think you may find that they're quite wobbly. <laughs> we need an objective standard of what a good chair looks like. And that's, how, that's what makes life function. So it's delusion. So, so Paul says, look, this is, all these worldviews are empty deceit in the sense that they are deceitful. They are untruthful. They are all built on self-delusion. But, but the second thing Paul is saying here is that man-centered way of thinking deceives us in the sense that they are empty, right? Because he says empty or hollow deceit. They never deliver what they promise. That's the point. If you have any banknote, right? I'm sure some of you have got a banknote on you, right? So look it up, right? So, say 10 pounds, right? There is something written on top of that note, isn't there? It says, I promise to pay the bearer on demand the sum of 10 pounds, right? That's what it says. But that promise is only kept by the bank if the note you're holding is real, right? If it is fake, the promise on that note is empty. It's hollow. That's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, oh man, centered ideas are promising us a lot, but they're like this fake 10 pounds. They can't promise to pay the bearer on demand because it's fake. They promise us a better life. And we want that. And we are attracted to that. But they cannot give us the lasting fulfillment that we long for. For example, let us uh, take the terrible idea that, that our children are being taught in schools. The dominant worldview now is that we are a bunch of atoms. We are just a bunch of atoms. There's nothing deep there in you. And the experts call this what? Scientific naturalism, isn't it? He says, all human beings are just a power of DNA. From the Big Bang, matter throughout. Because where can consciousness come from if you just came from that, right? And so the worldview says, you are not different from a tomato. Some, they like to use the banana as an example. You share 60% DNA with a banana. So you and the banana are not far apart. I had a banana this morning. It's quite interesting. Maybe I was eating myself. So anyway, <laughs> the point is, that's what the worldview says, isn't it? You came from an animal. You are, you are a monkey. You don't have a soul. This is what our kids are learning 24 hours, uh, well, seven days, seven hours a day, <laughs> right? This way of thinking is popular because, not because it makes sense, but because it frees us from depending on God. You don't have to worry about your sin in this world because, you see, your sin is a, is, is a spiritual thing. It's, a, it's an issue of the soul, and you don't have a soul. You only got it, you're only flesh and matter. And so there's no moral accountability. Now, it doesn't take long to know that this way of thinking is empty. It is foolish. 
Because instead of valuing human beings, it promises its freedom to human beings, it actually reduces human beings to a level of animals or even the law. And of course, therefore, it is not a surprise that the more our society has embraced scientific naturalism, this way of thinking, this Darwinian way of thinking, or this matter-based way of thinking, that people have started behaving like animals. And in some cases, even lower than animals. Is this not the reason why homosexuality and all sorts of perversions are rampant in our society today? Because people are being told, you and the animal are just the same. And so what are we seeing the way children are behaving? Children are becoming creatures of instinct. They are being ruled by their feelings. If you feel this way, act on it. They are not able to master their feelings. And it all comes down to this deceptive, empty worldview. And of course, they are being taught to behave like animals, aren't they? And so we find that they start behaving like animals. They stop living like true human beings. Because they believe human life is not different from animal life. They are very happy, the world, to murder babies. Why are we having problems on the issue of... It's a no-brainer, you know. Abortion is murder. It's, no, it's a no-brainer. It's, it just makes sense. We know that. Every human being does. But this worldview rejects that because it underpins... It says, look, no, no, but even if it's murder, choice is more important than, than that. Because at the end of the day, what is life? We're just animals. We just matter. Do you see? Instead of improving human flourishing, man-centered ways of thinking does the opposite. It debases and destroys our humanity. And that's why the church has a wonderful message. It values human beings. And we need to get it out there. The world needs to be hearing it. Week in, week out. And of course, the biggest deception of all man-centered ideas is that we can get rid of our responsibility before God by pretending he's not there. Because that's what this worldview does. That's what all worldviews do, which are not anchored in Scripture. They say, God isn't there. You can do away with it. But the Bible is clear that God holds every person responsible for their sin. And that the only way we can be forgiven of sin is by trusting in the death of our Lord Jesus Christ on that cross and his, in his resurrection from the dead. And so man-centered thinking is dangerous, you see, because it, it says we can save ourselves. We do not need the death of Christ for our sin. Because our souls are not at stake because we're just pure matter. That's just one example. But the general point is this, is that man-centered thinking is deceptive. It's deceptive. So it is enslaving. It is deceptive. And the final thing is that man-centered thinking, and this is very serious. Listen to me carefully. Man-centered thinking is demonic. It is satanic. Living by man's wisdom and thinking is exposing yourself to all kinds of spirit, evil spiritual influence. Look at verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. According to human tradition, human way of thinking. According to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. Now, there's some debate about how you interpret that, that phrase, elemental spirits. And your footnote, for example, gives that as elemental principles. But the ESV is absolutely right. 
to take elemental spirit as a central way of thinking about this verse. Because, be, because the context of verse 8 is chapter 1, and chapter 1, verse 16, where Paul has already, warned, has already told us that Christ is above all spiritual powers, right? Why is he saying that? Well, the reason he's saying that is because of what he's saying. He's going to say in verse chapter 2, verse 8, these elemental spirits, these spiritual forces are trying to take control of you. And verse 10 talks about that, doesn't it? Talks, it reminds us, comforts us that Christ is greater than all spiritual powers. That's in verse 10 of chapter 2. If you scan down, you see verse 15, Paul says plainly that Christ has defeated all evil spiritual powers through his death on the cross for our sins. The message of Colossians is that we live in a world of elemental spirits. We live in the world of powers and authorities. And the good news of the, of the Bible is that Christ created these powers. Christ has defeated these powers on the cross. But Paul says, watch out. Watch out that these things don't take you captive. And that's what he's saying there in verse 8. He's saying, to put it bluntly, the devil and these demons are behind all the godless ideas that we're seeing in the world. Individualism sounds like just something cooked up in an academic afternoon somewhere in some, on some campus. Scientific naturalism sounds like just an exploration of ideas. But Paul says, no, 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 no. Do not be misguided. There is a demonic energy behind any man-centered view of the world. There is a demonic energy behind any man-centered way of thinking which seeks to oppose and undermine Christ and his church in the world today. It has been like this since Christ entered this world. And it will continue until Christ comes. And we need to understand this point because this clarifies a lot of the issues I hear. We need to get this issue is spiritual. Now, in some cases, the demonic influence is obvious, isn't it? We can see it. For example, we know all religious worship is not Christ-centered. It is demonic in nature, right? So any religious worldview that is not biblical is demonic. How do I know that? Because Paul warns us that in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 20. He says, now... That what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God, he says. I do not want you to be what? Participants with demons. And so if Paul was writing today, he would remind us that Hinduism, Islam, spiritualist churches, and every other religion that is not centered on the Lord Jesus Christ is nothing more than demonic worship. And that's why we as believers cannot start just banding with all sorts of clubs. And we must realize that such ideas, if they are not rooted in the word of God, if it's not biblical Christianity, it's demonic. So in some cases it's obvious like that. But in some cases demonic influences in our thinking is subtle. For example, take the current drive in the West. To search for the God within you. There is a new spirituality sweeping the world today. That says all of us are divine. 
You don't need to worship God out, so out of you because you are God. As someone told me once when I was sharing the gospel, I asked them, do you believe in God? He says, no. He actually said, yes, I do. He says, I am God. We are all gods. And you are God. And I am God. I, I thought the man was drunk. Actually, he was sober. Right? He meant this. This is his view. And beloved, that is paganism. But this is the thinking that's behind many of the groups that, for example, are fighting climate change. They're saying we must save Mother Earth. And they call it Mother Earth. Why Mother Earth? Why don't you say that we must save the Earth? But it has to be Mother Earth. Why? Because the Earth is your mother. Because you and the Earth allegedly share the same life force. If it's your mother, you share something together. And what you share is a, is a life force. Do you see it? You, the Earth and the trees are all gods. They say. This idea that we are part of the same life force is also behind the popularity of yoga and mindfulness and other sorts of evil practices sweeping the world. These spiritual ideas look harmless on the surface, but Paul is saying to us that such ideas come from elementary spirits. They are demonically influenced. So sometimes it's obvious, sometimes it's subtle, Sometimes the spiritual dimension is actually very hidden. You can't really see it and you must spend time to unpack it. Satan does a good job, you see, of dressing his demonic influences as simply evolutionary way of thinking, as in as progress, right? And one of the reasons I believe the church is really struggling, you see, the church today is, cannot take on these ideas. Compared to the church fathers and that others in the past, that the church today is, is struggling. Why? Because in the past, the church had been aware of these verses. They had understood the spiritual influence behind the world. But we are living in a technological age, the age of AI. And we tend to see things on the surface. And one of the reasons the church is struggling, therefore, is because it does not appreciate the power behind these ideas. And so when it comes to issues, I just want to mention the controversial issues. I'm not saying you know, it's an idea or anything else like that. But one of the things that we, we, when we talk about what should children be taught and who should have responsible for the children and so forth, the, the debate doesn't get anywhere because it's being discussed at an intellectual level. It's not recognizing this element, the demonic element of human-centered worldview. And so, you see, the first rule of any successful military strategy is that you must know your enemy. We cannot defeat man-centered ideas unless we understand the source they come from. You cannot help your children to flourish if you don't take this issue seriously. Many of us think these ideas we are up against have no real spiritual power behind them. And so we are surprised that the world is changing so rapidly. We believe in the existence of Satan and we know he's at work, but we do not think that there is real spirit that is doing anything. That he is the brains behind all of this. Indeed, not just the brains, but the power behind them, behind it. We think the current thinking of joining opposites and the destruction of the binary in every area of life is just some academics who are too much time after eating some Nando's. They just thought, let's just discuss and bring this into being. 
We think the surge in homosexual living is just because there are too many dating apps. Are you saying that there are too many apps now so people with perverse ideas can get together? That's what we think. We don't think it is a satanic resurgence of pagan sexual rights that the church battled with in the first century. We think that the rise in pornography is only because the internet has now grown. That's what we think. And that's why many Christians, many people who profess to be believers, are addicted to pornography because they see pornography as simply something they're struggling with because of the technologies they use. They forget the force behind the work of Satan. They forget that what we see, what is being advertised and found on the internet, is what you would have expected in pagan cults in first century Israel and Middle East. There's a revival of witchcraft in this country. Did you know that? Among young women between the age of 15 and 35. What does the church make of that? Well, the church thinks the current revival of witchcraft among young women and the rise in communing with the dead is because of celebrities and because of the lockdown and people feeling lonely so they are looking for some interesting thing to post on TikTok. That's explaining the surface. The deeper reason for these things is the dark work of Satan, the ancient serpent who opposes the cause of Christ. So these are the three reasons, and I've spoken to you at length about these reasons. And, and, and then the poet is saying we must stand firm against all of these man-centered world thinking. Why? Because they are enslaving. They are destructive. They are demonic. And all followers of Christ must not give themselves to these ideas. We must think Christianly. We must be Christ-centered in our thinking. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. According to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Paul is saying, be careful, be aware, guard yourself against man-centered way of thinking. This is not advice, you must act on it. It's an imperative, it's a command. I am commanding you, says Paul, in Christ, to guard yourself against this threat. Yes, you are ultimately free in Christ, if the Son says you're free, you're free indeed, but you can be enslaved by worldly ideas. Don't confuse your soul with what would happen to your thinking. Yes, you have been delivered from the powers of darkness. Colossians 1, verse 13 to 14. But Paul here warns that you can be oppressed by Satan. The threat from Satan is still real. Satan cannot possess you in an actual sense because you are possessed by Christ. But he can oppress you spiritually. He can warp your thinking. So Paul says, stand firm, beloved, says Paul. Do not give Satan an inch in the way you are thinking about life. Resolve today to think Christianly, he says. Put Christ first in your thinking. And of course the question is, how do we do that in practice? Well, I've already taken up 45 minutes of your time, so I'm not going to say much on this. But I'll simply give you four quick things that you've got to do. Um, Let me suggest four things. First of all, know Christ and his words. How do we take on these worldly ideas? Know Christ and his word. If you want to spot a fake 10-pound note, you must know the real one, right? You've got to know the real one. You're going to spot the fake one. So know the real Christ. Know his word. Be rooted in his word. 
Be committed to study the Word of God, to sit under the Word of God morning and evening. And can I encourage parents, bring your, ch- your kids out to sit under the Word morning and evening, because that's the best way you're going to equip them to fight against these man-centered ideas. You yourself be radically committed to the Word of God and encourage your kids. Don't think, oh, they must be 18 plus for them to start being interested. In they are being shaped by demonic forces now. So commit yourself to the word. Model that now. Become, obey verse 6 to 7. Become established in the faith that you were taught. Paul says. Secondly, so know Christ and his word. Secondly, examine your thinking continuously. Ask yourself, is the way I'm thinking and making decisions in life man-centered or Christ-centered? Think of the last decision, important decision you made. What drove it? Was it rooted in the word? How much time did you spend in the scripture to make that decision? Or did you just make it like that? Think of not just the big decision, think of the small decisions. When you decided, perhaps, to say, oh, you know, I'm going to miss the evening service. What drove you to make that decision? Was it Christ-centered thinking or man-centered thinking? Ask yourself that. If you're at work, no, if you're a parent, can I just say, you've got to ask yourself, is the way I'm parenting my children being shaped by the world or is it being shaped by the truth of the Bible? At work, ask yourself, how can I do my work in the way that opposes man-centered thinking? Now, there's a, if I was discussing people at work, there's a lot to go through here. Because the entire fabric of work life is man-centered. So how do we as Christians live in a workplace which is man-centered, but we are meant to live for Christ? It's an interesting question. And it's one I'm sure you'd want to perhaps discuss with me afterwards. It's, but you must ask yourself, how do I live for Christ at work? Thirdly, invest in learning about the godless worldviews that are now shaping our world. You need to become better at sporting godless views. Now, I appreciate it's a church's role to teach you and, and, and help you in this area, but you yourself must commit yourself to learning how better how to sport man-centered ideas. If you're a parent, you cannot afford to delegate this issue. You must be a worldview reader. You must be able to t- tell your children how to watch a film properly, how to ask the right question of that film so that you can decode the cultural product so that they are not being swept away by worldly ideas. And of course, as I said, the church has a responsibility to teach you in these things, and I'm hoping we can spend some time later this year to go through some of these things. Finally, and I've taken up your time, pray. I was so encouraged this, this week. I had a call from the Christian Institute guy. He spoke to me about many things, and he was saying, I want to come and uh, share something at the, with the church. I'm saying, yeah, that's what I've been thinking about this week. It'd be great for you to come, but it's coming next year. Anyway, after we spoke, he then said, next year's too long, isn't it? <laughs> uh, but then he said to me, can I pray for you? I was like, thank you. I need that. It's not often I get a call and somebody says, can I pray for you? I said, thank you. And he prayed. I was telling my wife about it. He prayed, and I think the Lord was speaking through the prayer. Honestly, I think the way he prayed, I'm like, that's really good. This is from the Lord, I was telling my wife, right? But he prayed for me. But he taught me one thing. The Christian Institute, and I'm not just sort of advertising them, they understand that prayer is the main way we wage war. Because they understand these ideas are spiritual ideas. And so he prayed for us as a church. He prayed for the protection of this church. He prayed for the protection of our thinking. He put prayer at the heart of it. And so I encourage you to 
who make prayer a priority. This passage is calling on us to take our thought life seriously. It says life is full of landmines, right? But we must stand firm, and the good news is that you are not alone. And this evening we will see that in Christ, not only can we say no to these worldly ideas, but Christ has made us complete in him. And so we have all the resources that we need in Christ. And verse 9 to 10 is about that. Well, may the Lord help us all to think Christianly and to resist all man-centered ideas for the glory of Christ and for our good. Amen.